Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The worst thing about that was that it just started with Tyrone Mings galloping through the middle of the pitch with the ball on a mazy dribble. What does we we had ball four fucking it was going to be Kansas swinging it into Tyrone Mings at one 0 up in fucking eighty fifth minute. What are we doing? This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. If this is what Aston Villa look like after one week, one week of training with Steven Gerrard, then by God, bring me the rest of this season. Bring it on. I think everybody can see how much we've improved defensively already. We look so solid. We're working as a unit. Everybody knows what their job is. Those distances that Steven Gerrard talked about before he even came into the job, they are closed. We're not wide open anymore, but... We haven't sacrificed going forward. We look even better going forward at the minute anyway. Josh Josh Williams put out a tweet. He said, that's just six and eight shots faced in Gerrard's first two matches in charge of Villa. They were allowing 13.6 per match before him. So we're like, that is a significant drop. And, you know, like, like Palace had a couple of shots there later on in the game. But Villa looked way in control of that match like they were so good in the first half going forward they were brilliant they dominated and actually they were on top by such a distance that at half time I was thinking ah, that should really be more than one goal like you worry then that it'll come back and bite you but it didn't because they looked so sure of themselves in the second half and Everything we did, it was just lined with conviction. And I'll talk about Nakamba. This guy is playing ball. Like, look look at the first goal. 1-0. Marvelous Nakamba is driving forward. He's picking passes. But he's always in the right position now in attack and defense. It looks like he can work with this boy. And then he finds Ollie Watkins, who's just... He just looks dangerous when he squares up the goals. He takes on his man. He feeds a lovely pass to Cash. That one I always talk about inside the fullback. Cash wins the corner. Actually, Young is back in the team. And by God, if he's going to be back for anything, get him back in for set pieces. Lovely corner in. Target's first touch. Like, he gets a bit of fortune the way it bounces up for him. But he puts it where he wants to. He directs it to the left so he can get it out of his feet. And I'll say it. 
It was a great finish. <laughs> yeah, and just even to see that ball getting played into Watkins in the build-up, just initially into his feet, and he controls it and he lays it off. It just gives you such a good platform that we've been desperately missing all season. And then the ball around the corner to Bailey. He gets onto that shit over hit cross himself, even though it's a 40-yard run, and he recycles it. He gets back on it. He plays another one-two and tries the through ball you're talking about, and it's so unlucky, but really good defending from Palace. Then it's absolutely terrible defending from Palace to get sucked in under the corner. It's a shit touch from target. You're wrong. Followed by a really well-controlled half-volley. But yeah, I think it was a goal that, that Villa deserved, and you touched on it there after that goal, particularly after the goal, the bravery and taking the ball and then the, the choice of passes, which has made a lot easier when you know your teammates are going to be brave to take the ball, popping it off around the corner. Good vertical passing lines, Conan. It was all it was all right. It was all it was all brilliant on the ball from Villa. There were just options for everybody. Like uh, like the commentary talked about Ashley Young a lot, but he was key, but also because Target was like, Target is looking so good suddenly again. Like, it, I was thinking back to when he just, you know, turned us around last season. And it was a lot of it was because Villa turned the way they were playing around. And, you know, we went from lambasting this boy, calling him the, the, the only weak link at the team is what we thought at the time. And then it was, suddenly it was hero. This man can't do anything wrong. He knows where to be. He's decisive was the big word. And now, he, like you mentioned this last week, he's got two players ahead of him. Ramsey, Ramsey and Young. It's not that they're ahead of him. They're dropping into nice angles. They're dropping in the pockets. They're all working in tandem together. Nobody is doing what we were criticising Buendia for last week by you know, walking towards a player and then not really being an option. Like They're all in a good position. And that means not only do you have an option to pass it, then you've got an option to get it back. It means the ball is moving in the right direction. Like you're talking about vertical passing. It's it's just a joy to watch. And like I said, it's only one week into the thing. Yeah, exactly. And giving your teammates options, but giving them options that are actually worthwhile, you know, and not drifting in behind the midfielder to make sure you can't receive the ball if you think you might be surrounded. How many times does Ramsey just step into the right space and ask for the ball? It's unbelievable. Yeah. And then the turn... Ramsey is turning before he receives the ball so often. He, the first thing he wants to do is have the shoulder square to the goals, and then he'll make a decision after that. Then he's nimble enough to get out of the trouble if it's caused by that, by that really aggressive decision on the ball. It's absolutely brilliant to see. And you're right to say Target is playing well, but Ramsey and Young couldn't have helped him out more. Like How often was Ramsey at left-back today? It was <laughs> unbelievable. He was absolutely brilliant. The hunger to get back and help out to help out target and then having another left back ahead of the two of them as well was obviously handy. But the, the three of them worked so well in tandem today and it was fucking brilliant to see. Let's let's have a Ramsey conversation. Like, I don't even know if this boy realises how powerful he is when he starts running. Like, uh, it's it, we saw it, you know, under Smith, obviously, but we're seeing it more often now at the minute. And when he gets those afterburners on, like there hasn't been a midfielder yet that can keep up with him. It's not It's not even that he's taking their space and he's strong on the ball. He's actually leaving them for dust. He needs to do this more. It's like, I think twice now, he's, he's really brought it and then it's drifted out. You know, he came off then today. It was, it was brilliant today. But I would just love him to inject that. Not, not every time he's on the ball, but every time he has the opportunity. When he sees grass, the instructions should just be, go, son, because you can do it. But I think that's the instruction in his own head. Whenever he gives it, that's what he does. He wants to go forward. He gets the ball and he's turning and he's looking. And if the space is there, he is fucking running into it. And of course, he ran out of steam today. I mean, he's a 20-year-old playing midfield. There's a lot of running power you have to build up in your legs to play in the position and the type of football that Ramsey is playing. And he just doesn't have that stamina yet. And especially when he's working so fucking hard, both defensively and offensively he was up and down like a fucking middle distance runner all game it was incredible and the man that replaced him Douglas Louise is back he came (laughs) home (laughs) we're going to get to that red card decision Um, but for the second goal Douglas Louise plays the target and it was just good to see Dougie in that position you want to see him in like let off the leash a little bit more (laughs) my god he was trying to get off the leash as much as he could finds target El Ghazi's on the pitch for a goal. Love it. El Ghazi and Buendia, lovely one too. El Ghazi doesn't shoot. He makes the right decision, but he's still somehow 
fails to just roll the ball onto John McGinn's foot. He has to bobble it up for him, doesn't he? And <laughs> McGinn, McGinn does incredibly. They wrap his foot around that. It's hit a bit of his shin, but like what he's done there with the way the balls come to him, it was brilliant and a lovely finish. And I, I honestly yelled out of me when I saw that ball nestle onto the net. Like, what did we say last week? If you're winning, just keep calm in the last five minutes. Yeah. Keep the ball. Have the courage to keep it high up the pitch and the gaps will appear. And this is at every level of football because the opposition will get frantic. And when you get frantic, you've stopped defending. Franticness is anathema to defending. Yeah. And Palace went chasing the ball and there was so much space for El Ghazi, then Buendia, then El Ghazi, who could have <laughs> shot. And then McGinn in yards of space at the edge of the box, not followed. Palace players turn around in complete surprise to see that he was there. And it was one of those goals you could just see was a goal from about four passes out. Yeah. You could see the pattern so clearly, the space, and it was a gorgeous finish from McGinn. I mean, you can see it hits off the shin in in super slow motion, but you know, no one knew that at the time. He bends it exactly where he wants to bend it, and it was perfect. Oh, yeah, like it, it was deliberate control. Like it, he caught it with his shin, but, but the way El Ghazi bounced it up for him, and again, has reacted. He's wrapped his foot and leg around the way the ball has come at him. It was, it was gorgeous. Were you, were you a bit disappointed that El Ghazi didn't shoot? I am never disappointed that <laughs> El Ghazi doesn't shoot. <laughs> Fair enough. Disappointing though. Um, you know I love two 0 That is my favorite result. It's just it just really implies that you, you dominated a team in every way. It looks so controlled, and I just wanted another two 0 Wanted another clean sheet. I need to get out of this. Emmy Martinez needs a clean sheet thing. Like that's gone. That's last season's problem. But um, I hate every time we concede. I'm always like, oh, Paremi's not going to break this record that I didn't know about until fourteen games in last season. <laughs> Um, but Kanza was not happy with Tyrone Mings, and Tyrone Mings, 2-0 up, 90 seconds to go, just thinks, ah, don't need to make those five yards extra, do you? It's fine, it'll be great. Oh, goal, 2-1, now we have to see it out. And Villa kept the ball, which was amazing to see. Yeah, like it's a, it's a fantastic cross, but he was given far too much space, and it's a nice little finish, but he was given far too much space, and I think that was really disappointing. When you're 2-0 up, and your man, you're only your manager, new manager, second game. Yeah, keep the fucking aggression and pressure up for the rest of the game. There's only two more minutes to go. Just fucking see it out with a clean sheet. They, fair enough. After that, they did see it out well in the corner, but Palace were fucking dreadful trying to get that ball back. <laughs> Jesus Christ! They could have, Douglas <laughs> Louise and Al Ghazi were keeping it off them. <laughs> um. Do you know what one of the most scary sentences is in football when you're watching a match? Michael Salisbury is making his Premier League debut today as referee. <laughs> and it's like, oh, God. So here we go. Ollie Watkins probably could have had two penalties. The first one against Milojovic. I, I, I think Watkins is looking for us. But he's foul. Like, he puts his hands up. He steps into him. He thinks, oh, shit. You know, I've, I've clipped him here with my knee. Watkins goes down. The ref's afraid to make the call. And then Coyote plants. Like, Watkins gets in front of him. He plants his body. And Coyote just runs into the back of him, barges him over. And I think both times they were saying on commentary, is it a foul outside the box? And both times the answer is emphatically yes. Okay, for the first one, I think Watkins dives. I think Miljevojevic plants his foot. And then Watkins jumps into and over his thigh. And even if you... Even if you disagree with that, if you don't think Watkins has dived, Milivojevic is allowed to be on the pitch. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he moves towards Watkins, and it's it's not his responsibility to get out of Watkins' way. I mean, if Watkins wants the ball, then go get the ball, go around him. I remember something very similar happened to me, and and the forward who knocked the ball past me and then just chest bumped me, yeah. which I wasn't expecting because we hadn't just scored and we were on opposing teams. And we both fell to the ground. And he turned around screaming at the ref. And the ref just caught him off saying, he has as much right to be here as you do. <laughs> I think it, was, it was nice to have me right the life confirmed and my existence validated and defended by a Darien District amateur and undoubtedly hungover referee. But the, I think the second one, 
yeah, I mean, if that was Coyote taking the ball down under pressure from Watkins in exactly the same position with both players swapped around, then the ref is definitely going to give a free out to Palace. You know, is it enough for a penalty, though, Connor? I mean, <laughs> we have seen them given, but if that was anywhere else on the pitch and so on. I like just just don't be so brain dead when like Watkins has the ball accepted like you know yeah. you, you don't have to step through him you, like you shouldn't be allowed to do that to a player. Um, you're right in the first one like maybe I am reaching and the way you described it there reminds me of that one of Ronaldo's was it against Newcastle? I don't think it was against Newcastle because he had a great day that day. It must have been the it was game West after. Ham. West Ham and he you know he knocks the ball twenty yards to the left and charges into Sufal maybe on the right. No, it wasn't even. It was Ogbonna, and he uh, just goes towards him on the right. He's just standing there, minding his own business. But, um, yeah, okay, okay, we'll give him a pass for that one. The Douglas Louise red card, like, t- take a fucking breather. Like, what, what are you... Like, <laughs> you can't just pretend like you've seen something. Like, we all, like, honestly, in real time, we saw that Douglas Louise... He found him with the back of his arse or the back of his leg. Like, you could see that. And the ref has just conjured up an image in his mind that did not happen. You can't do that. And then, so obviously he went and looked at it. They said to him straight away, go look at that. Like, that was the quickest I've ever seen uh, VAR say, go look at this on the screen again. The ref came over. Fair enough, he, he, um, he overturned it. What's the yellow card for? <laughs> just just a foul just a shit foul that you've held the game up for no reason yeah I mean <laughs> I think Douglas Louise is a lucky lucky bastard there like Doug, it's completely accidental on Douglas Louise's part that he doesn't catch him and what the fuck is Douglas Louise doing I mean he, he overruns the ball relax it's grand we're two 0 up. Why are you charging in like that with your fucking studs up so high? Like Douglas <laughs> Louise, the fact that he misses him is complete luck from Douglas Louise. He isn't not in control of himself there. He's a fucking loose cannon. The only thing that would have been annoying about him because I actually wanted him to be sent off to try and fucking wake him up to try and get him back into being a professional footballer who's not completely brain dead. The only <laughs> thing that would have been annoying about that. Was that it was fucking Kuyate who should have been sent off about seven times in that game for an accumulation of 14 yellow cards. You know, he wasn't fucking booked. Like, how the fuck did he manage to not get booked during that game? It was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the Louise thing, look, maybe, yeah, maybe I can make me peace with a yellow card, but I'll tell you what I don't like about Louise. And you know, it wasn't just him, but he did it twice when he came on. I am gobsmacked at how long it takes a professional footballer to retreat back in the position after they've been beaten or after they've lost the ball. Louise has this habit of like when he passes the ball away, he just like ah, oh, fuck's sake, Watkins, you should have controlled that. And you know, meanwhile, the game is happening. Like it happened to Cash in the second, in the first half, he just went charging forward out of position then when Villa lost. It wasn't his fault that they lost it. And then you're just waiting for, honestly, like tens of seconds for him to appear back in screen as Palace are slowly building up. And then eventually he walks back in. You're like, what the fuck were you waiting on? Get, like, you're, you're really fit. I know you are. Get back <laughs> in the position. It won't take that long. Like Fair, fair enough if a team goes on a mad counter-attack and break. But the like, Palace weren't doing that today. They weren't doing fucking anything today. Yeah, and I, I think the Matty Cash one is a lot more forgivable because, you know, if he's out of position, it's because he's just run 70 yards at full speed. So you can understand maybe the requirement to have a small breather or at least the inability to sprint back after having just done that. Douglas Louise, like Douglas Louise and Buendia aren't going to make it under Gerrard. They're just not going to make this team. They're not, they're, not, they're not able to play this way. The two of them are such lazy little cunts that it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> it happened two or three times. We're winning 2-0. Palace have had the ball for the last 10 minutes. Fucking get... Do you think you brought on a defensively minded midfielder for an attacking midfielder so you could just stand up next to Watkins whinging about your shit pass? Like, what the... You're on here to tighten up the game and it couldn't have got any looser since you came on. <laughs> the only question he asked... You might come on for Nakamba or Ramsey. And they, <laughs> they said Ramsey's a great gotcha. 
<laughs> no, 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 Dougie, Dougie. <laughs> Say no more. I know what you want. I've been watching Ramsey for the last seven minutes. Yeah, don't do that, is what we're saying now when you go on. We want something different. Anyway, we'll go to WhatsApp Wings. WhatsApp Wings number one. That was the longest build-up to the worst free kick <laughs> of all time. Well, I mean, well, what was the point? Like he, I, I'm going to have to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was trying to hit that under the wall. I mean, if he's trying to get that over the wall and that's what happened, like I wouldn't have the vocabulary to describe just <laughs> how bad that was. And the build-up was so bizarre as well. The spectacle of, of Ashley Young pretending he was controlling this situation, but then Bailey completely undermining him by very deliberately tamping the ground down around the ball. We all know you don't fuck around with how someone else has placed the ball. So it was obviously going to be Bailey that hit it. And then Young's fake run-up, it almost looks sarcastic. And by the time by the time Bailey started his run-up, anyone that had been fooled by Young's had enough time to reset and roll and smoke a fucking fag. Like ba- Bailey didn't start his run-up until Young had started walking back away from the ball. It was fucking mental. Yeah, it was almost like he waited for Young to say, okay, you go now. <laughs> um, like oh, I'm a, this is a bit of a frustration you know watching Villa now when was the last time they had a, a, a scored a free kick I, I, I'm thinking was it Conor Hurahan against Newcastle two seasons ago like we just don't have that that threat anymore like I don't get excited having free kicks around the box it never seems to even result in a shot on goal although actually Young was pretty close the second time yeah, it looked a lot closer in real time than it actually turned out to be yeah. in the replay. I thought the keeper was beaten, and I realised the keeper just realised the crossbar was beaten by the ball. And <laughs> just stopped, yeah. Like, if these boys aren't fucking nailing them in training, and don't, like, let's work something. We're pretty good from crossing free kicks, so let's just do that. Because, like, if, if they're not there in front of mannequins, putting it in the top corner over and over and over, then I don't want to know. I don't want to see this. Yeah, yeah, and like to be honest, I don't know what to work on. I mean, it looked like for a large part of that game that all Austin McPhee had spent a week was doing was teaching McGinn and Young to take one step towards the ball before allowing <laughs> the other player with the outswinger to take the free kick. I mean, yeah. that was the only sort of routine that they had, and it worked on a couple of occasions, but Jesus Christ. Second WhatsApp winch. Why have Crystal Palace given up on ever trying to win the ball cleanly? <laughs> this is becoming their identity as a club now. Just, just like they're like a Sunday league team. So like it's, it's like they just can't accept anybody nicking the ball away from them. Sometimes like McGinn and Ramsey, had, you know, move the ball to the side. They're not going to advance on the goal. They've just gotten away from one player, and they just can't help but fucking mince them. And like the, like a lot of like a lot of defenders, like Joe Ward is a typical one. Like they just look like Sunday League hard asses as well. Like you can't, they'll they'll never let anybody try any piece of skill. Don't let them do that to you. Don't let them do that to you. Um, and you know, just barging and making Coyote like just every time the Villa player had the ball, they tried to do something with it. Like Palace weren't trying to tackle the ball back; they were just trying to end the move. Yeah, like, honest to God, I, I think Kiari must have had some sort of elaborate shirt changing and number changing system going on there to get away with not being booked three or four times. But I, I think it was actually fairly easily explained by just how shite Palace were playing. But I'm not sure if it resulted from the fact that Palace were playing shite, and that includes their defending and their tackling, or it was just born out of frustration with how shite they were, and it was petulance. I mean, it's probably the latter, because... Palace do have good players around midfield, and that's where a lot of the little niggly fouls were happening. And those players just couldn't have been any worse in the first half, and they must have been in a bad place mentally. How good are they really? Like on paper, their team looked better than Villas, right? And you know, Zaha does a lot of amazing things. You know, when I watch matches today, quite often, but never seems to like. If anything, he just seems like a narky wee prick against Villa. He, he seems to be wasting more time complaining and, and shouting at the referee. And he's brought off there after 70 minutes. I thought he was held in higher esteem than that. Well, like, Wilfried Zaha has somehow convinced the British press that he's fucking Thierry Henry incarnate. And <laughs> the, the worst thing is that I think he's convinced himself that. Yeah. And then whenever he is inevitably not that good on the pitch, 
he gets really frustrated and turns into a narky little prick. That's fair enough. Yeah, we can move on. We can leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know what? Speaking of convincing yourself that you're Thierry Henry incarnate, will you fucking decide what you're going to do with the ball, Leon Bailey? Oh, Leon Bailey, eh? Jesus Christ almighty. I mean, I mean, you would say he was running down a blind alley, but the fact that he couldn't see the end of that alley was obvious because he's such a fucking headless chicken. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. El Ghazi was praying as he was coming onto the pitch. I mean, how can El Ghazi still believe in God having watched Leon Bailey's performance? I mean, after seeing, seeing Leon Bailey do whatever that was, whatever he thinks he was doing, and to get away with being on the pitch for 77 minutes is any is enough reason to turn anybody atheist. We, we've we laughed before at Bertrand Terori thinking, you know, it's just a bit of crack. Like, you know, I can just show off my skills. Like, at least Bertrand Terori is, like, showing off some sort of samba skills or whatever you know Bailey's just there dragging the ball back dragging it back dragging it until he just runs into somebody else and he, <laughs> he never seems to want to move anywhere like Ferrari wants to move somewhere so we could try and uh, flick over somebody's head at least <laughs> poor Bertie but like Bailey's just you know just roll, like pulling it back and, and turning around and pirouetting over the ball until he fa- falls over he gets minced or he just gives it away absolutely dreadful performance the final WhatsApp ones. <laughs> I was worried you were gonna, you were gonna uh, already steamroll this one in part one. Confirmed, El Ghazi is the worst player to have the ball in the corner at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> the first time, all right, Ollie Watkins gives it to him, and then he just he passes it, he passes it back to a Palace player. I don't know what he's trying to do. He's got his. He's got his arse between the man and the corner. The ball is there at the corner flag. And he just rolls it up the line to two Palace players. There's no, like, target is nowhere to be seen. And then Palace break, and you're like, what was that? And then the second time, he, he tries to Leon Bailey, tries to get his foot in the ball, and it goes out of play. Like, he, has, he has the ball dead, and somehow he knocks it out of play under no pressure. Yeah, he tries to put his foot in the ball and just kicks it instead. I mean, oh my fucking god! <laughs> yeah, surely he just you know has some sort of intuition for the fact that a football is eight inches high, and he just fucking goes through the ball through the middle of it while trying to put his foot on top of it. It's unbelievable! Ah, uh, for a man so competent at penalty kicks, it's just yet again there's another weak point of his game. But um, but he comes on the pitch once again, and he can. He, God, an assist, actually. I'm happy of El Ghazi tonight once more. Villa are going well. Another win. Did you, did you hear that was uh, the first time? This shows you how bad it's been for Villa. The first time a new manager has come in since 1998 and won his first two games with Aston Villa. <laughs> it's like he, there's no new manager points of Villa. They get a new manager and they immediately <laughs> get smacked across the face with a big old reality check. How the fuck do we still support Aston Villa? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll hand out some awards after this. They've both got incredible arses. The face on some of those lads, like McNeil, Wood. Like, Wood looks like a big, <laughs> a big GA midfielder, doesn't he? Again, we'll use his arse in every scenario. He actually played a blind arse early on in the first half. Does anyone sweat more than Ralph Barkley? <laughs> it actually looked like he was going for showers regularly during the game. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? John Walters' arch has never let me down, though. John McGinn's has let me down several occasions this season. <laughs> he was drenched, like absolutely soaking. El Ghazi is too prone to bad runs of form. He had a bit of crack in December, and he was due a bad run. He's too patchy. He's too streaky. 
and that performance was the equivalent of a streak of shit in the toilets of a fucking bus station. Into somebody else's bosom. Bosom of possession, I mean. You know, like a bosom of possession, I mean. All right, I am going to whiz through this Rosenthal Award. I've got four nominations. John McGinn, Rose Coyote, uh, Nice Watkins Pass, bends it, but it's just wide. Kanza from a McGinn Free, par for the course. Kanza just heading it over the bar. <laughs> Tyrone Mings, like, this is definitely the winner. He should score. Lovely Ashley Young free kick. Ashley Young should have two assists. Uh, Mings, Mings, he's not even trying to shoot. This is the thing. He's trying to pass it across the, the box to where nobody is. And he passes it backwards to where nobody is. <laughs> he manages to find a space behind. And then Ollie Watkins really should shoot on that break at the very end. And he doesn't. And he falls over. Yeah, I mean, both beautiful free kicks from Young. And to be fair to Kanza, he sees the free kick out for a goal kick. It's great defending, as we'd expect <laughs> from Kanza. And then similarly, it's a beautiful ball in from Young. And look... Mings does brilliantly again to get something on it and see it safe, and it's great defending as we'd expect from Mings. <laughs> but uh, unbelievable, isn't it? It's two big men isolated in the box, and they just fucking do that with it. Ollie Watkins obviously shouldn't turn back, but Ollie Watkins was doing a lot of turning back inside today. Um, he seemed to want to be on the ball more than he needed to be instead of just getting it out of his feet and shooting. But uh, Tyrone Mings, it's so glaring. All right, the Tim Sherwood, we play two number 10s and bamboozled them award. We'll start off with the big decision. Might sound obvious. We might have been calling for it for a while under Dean Smith as well. But he did it. He dropped things. And look, it's it might have been staring you in the face, but he did it and he deserves credit for it. He dropped things, nothing against things, but it's the way we had to go to play a better team, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's what the team—it's the team that matters. And Aston Villa have been for the last eighteen months a much better team. Whenever Ollie Watkins is on the pitch, and like any time he's been missing, Villa just aren't as good. It's harder for them to have a platform up the pitch because Ollie Watkins is so good at receiving the ball into his feet, and he is also somehow so good at spinning in behind and getting on the ball. Yeah. I mean, he's got the two absolute perfect ways of giving you a platform and. Villa are always so much better with it, but it wasn't just it wasn't just that decision, and you'll probably come on to that. But playing playing marvelous Nakamba with those two ball carriers in there, two ball carriers as well, who were able to beat the man and then play the ball for Ollie Watkins, just makes so much sense. And Aston Villa were so good on the ball today, and it was largely to do with Ollie Watkins. Well, here this this probably should be a nomination on its own, like considering. His improvement now, there'll be a lot of people out there who are thinking that he hasn't improved that much. But, like, honestly, I haven't seen Nakamba play a game like he did today. I know maybe maybe he has been better or more effective in game for Villa, but Nakamba was in the right place at the right time. He was tidying up. He wasn't too deep like he does. He wasn't too far forward like he can get stranded. One time, he made a stupid pass and it got cut out and he made the foul. Like, so he actually he reacted to it well. And to be honest, like, you know, this isn't a camba I can get on board with. This is a player. And um and all credit to the to the management team because I don't think we've seen this type of player yet from him. Yeah, and like I think we we definitely saw why some people are fans of his and but I think we also saw why sometimes I wish he was sucked into an industrial fan. Like <laughs> he, he, he was he was breaking it up well. But then he was also just losing the man on his shoulder a lot as well. The Palace were dreadful, so they weren't punishing it that often. And he, he was, to be fair to him as well, he was trying to and passing it forward. But then yeah. he was also just picking out Palace men who were standing in yards of space. But the, the fact that he was turning and looking for the ball around the corner through the midfield into Watkins' feet was so encouraging and so untypical of Marvellous Nakamba that it was actually really encouraging. Yeah, he was making himself available more. And like, honestly, that's been the thing I disliked most about his play. Is it's, it's the Glenn Whelan habit. It's, it's, 
it's hiding. Like, you know, it's it's not it's making yourself available, but when the player's on the ball looking at you and seeing all those players around you, you're not available. You, you know you're not an option, and, you, and that's why you're standing there. You're you're copping out and you're making that player make a, a worse decision then because you don't want to be the player to make the mistake. Like that's that's honestly the most frustrating thing about Whelan, and I saw a bit of that in the Canvas game, but you know, working with him, maybe pointing it out with him, showing him where he should be when a player's on the ball, and knowing that when you're on the ball, here are your options, here's where they will be. And Nakamba looks a bit more confident there. He's 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 coming he's coming for it in a good place and he's moving it quickly. He's not getting stuck on it. He's he's sharp with his passing. Yeah, and as you say, he's moving it forward. Like I don't think I thought he was actually all right last week. I thought he grew into the game. He started off very ropely. Initially, I had written down, what's the point of a new manager if you have to play in the Canva? <laughs> and he got better and better. So, um, again, there's credit due to him and the management team. But there was a stat going around afterwards that Nakamba's pass success rate was 96%. And we all know that he didn't play any passes. Like, if Nakamba wasn't making 100% with the passes that he tried to play that week... <laughs> That's that's not good enough. There wasn't one pass there that they should that he shouldn't have made. But like today, he, he was making riskier passes, forward passes, first time passes, and he was the one who played that one to Watkins when you talked about the ball being fed into Watkins first time and then Watkins then turning and then doing what he does and that led to the goal eventually. Yeah, and just quickly on pass completion rates, I mean they're misleading from two perspectives because the passes could just be Tiptero Mings 28 times and then you've got a 28 pass or 100 yeah. pass completion rate but that's that will never capture the pass that you don't play the pass yeah. that you should have played the amount of opportunities that could have been created for Aston Villa the amount of times that Matty Cash has to put on the bricks because he hasn't been played through like that's that stats will never ever capture what players don't do but uh, we don't need to get into that. Marvis the Cabo is good today. <laughs> yeah, no, well done. Um, needless to say, he's going up in the Vimin meter. I won't even mention him now, but uh, he was great. And honestly, keep it up, buddy, because that was that was class to see. Third nomination for the Tim Sherwood. We played two number 10s and bamboozled him award. The defensive setup, like, we're, we're looking so tight. We look reliable. I don't know about you, but that's the most comfortable I felt at 1-0. I was still nervous, obviously, but... It wasn't like they could score at any time. It was like minutes and minutes and minutes were passing for them without anything happening because of how solid we were. And it starts from the front. And it's, you can see why Young came in. Obviously, he shows for it on the ball and he's brave and he was good in set pieces. But but him and Bailey, they, like they're sort of, I don't even want to call it pressing, but the way they were boxing Palace in, they were making that pitch smaller. So when the ball was on, Palace's right-hand side over on Young's side, Bailey would drift into the centre and him, Watkins, and, and Young would be closing them off. And when it came over to the other wing, Young would drift into the centre. And it, it just, it, like, that that is such a simple instruction, but something that has to be implemented and something that has to be taught and something that wasn't happening with Villa is just making that pitch smaller and, you know, asking the question, does Ashley Young need to be on the left wing when the ball is on Palace's left wing? And the answer is obviously no, because... Everybody will have time to shift back across, especially when they're working together. Yeah, and especially when they're playing against Palace as well, who don't have the players that are capable of sweeping the ball across yeah. at a low enough trajectory to open up the space quickly enough. I mean, they're, they're not they're not playing against Man City. They're not set up to do to do that. They're not trying to lure you in. They're just keeping the ball in whatever way they think is working. And they're like, it's not a trap. So just go pressurise them. And when you've got McGinn and Ramsey as well, it's so important because they can cover the space so quickly. They get over the ground. For centre midfielders, you touched on it at the start of the show, they get over the ground so quickly that they can just close that down and they're out there with their fullbacks. And Leon Bailey was doing a good amount of pressing tonight, despite how dreadful he was in general on the ball. But you're right to say that it was really comfortable. I mean, any nervousness about the 1-0 lead only came from conditioning the condition of being an Aston Villa fan <laughs> that was the only re- there was no reason to be nervous there I don't think Palace had a shot until the 82nd minute or something ridiculous like that it was so easy for Villa and even when Palace had the ball for a long time they weren't getting through they weren't doing anything fourth nomination not hoofing it from the centre from the kickoff <laughs> And did you see how easy it was? The Look ball went back to Nakamba. The ball went back to Mings. The ball went back forward to Nakamba. And the Palace backed off. 
and that was it. That's all he had to do. And then he went back to Mings, and Villa started passing around the back like he would do when the team gives the ball away as normal. Like that. That's all it took. Back to Mings. Back to Nakamba. Done. Team backs off. <laughs> it's almost like not just lofting the ball to the edge of the box is the best way to score a goal. <laughs> Um, good to see again it might sound simple but stuff that wasn't being done <laughs> but I have the winner here clear clear winner for the Tim Sherwood we played two number 10s and bamboozled them award Emmy Martinez is time wasting <laughs> I mean 82 minutes gone on the clock Palace they have their first shot you're right it was 82 minutes they had the first shot and goal the crowd are getting excited now finally somebody's showing a bit of intent because they were on Palace's backs because Palace were dreadful in fairness to the crowd. And they finally got a shot. They had a corner just before that. Bit of momentum. Not today, lads. Emmy Martinez is down holding his hamstring. <laughs> Knowing that he like the game can't continue until the keeper gets up. And then he's there covering his mouth, talking to the physio. And you're like, if you're covering your mouth when you're talking to the physio, something is up here. Someone is up, but thankfully there was a weak referee. Couldn't do anything about it. Didn't know what to do about it. And Emmy Martinez took the sting right out of that game. Game management. from, And it's coming from the top. It's coming from the top. And it's working the way down to the best soldier I could imagine. <laughs> yeah, I think we should probably introduce a new award. The, the Emmy Martinez, why is Ronaldo not taking the penalty? Shithouser award. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will include that this is the winner for that this week as well he's <laughs> just this is such a likeable character to have on your team I can easily imagine that every other person in the Premier League every other fan around the world despises him <laughs> absolute cunt like that's it <laughs> it's, it's always good you know when you, when there's a psychopath but, but he's our psychopath <laughs> And I wanted to give one nomination for the You Like Glenn Whelan taking 90th minute penalty award. Very, very brief flirtation with a 442. I could I, I could sense you shuffling uncomfortably on the sofa. Um Watkins and Bailey up top, John McGinn on the right, Ashley Young on the left. I you know, I could see the thinking. It was it was it was more from a defensive point of view than trying to hit them on the break, but Oh, God, did we look bad during that period? And in fairness, maybe it should be taken out of this category because he rectified it pretty quickly and he moved to a 4-5-1 then when he brought El Ghazi on and moved Young to the right-hand side. Yeah, I think he was just, honestly, I think he was just trying to get Bailey out of as many defensive situations as he could yeah. because Bailey's legs and head had gone, as both of those things normally go together, and he just wasn't... He wasn't in the game from a defensive perspective. He, he wasn't following people. He was falling asleep, and it was just better off getting him out of there. And he did. The Peter Rankleman What the Fuck Award. Very close to be called called the Emmy Martinez What the Fuck Award. Um, his drop when the ball came in from across has to be the winner. Like That's the sort of thing that could just get poked in if it drops to the wrong person. Um, you know, in a game that you're dominating, the other team don't look any threat. The keeper drops a clanger, literally, and it can, the ball can just go straight into the net out of nowhere, and it's just a real sucker point. So he got away with that one. Matty Cash deserves a nomination for blasting the ball off Kanza when Gallagher crossed the ball in. And Matt Target didn't help himself either. He committed himself. Gallagher dinked it over, and then Cash freaks out and blasted off Kanza. <laughs> we can probably talk about those two first. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I honestly think that's the first time Emmy Martinez has dropped the ball from across in eighteen months, which is un fucking believable. Yeah. And yeah, it was a it was a bad one, and you could see as well he had moved back too far or something, and and then he started before he caught it, he was thinking about the counter attack. I was just a mess, and I don't think he'll do it again, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it was it was really bad. The Gallagher making Target look like a fucking turtle on his back. It was pathetic stuff from Target. It was so easy for Gallagher target completely sold himself and then cash was playing like a fucking pub player who's literally just come from the pub what the fuck is he doing <laughs> i mean there was, there was nobody around the only player that was next to him was his fucking teammate his best player like he's not gonna get in your way it's grand wait unbelievable I, I, actually, I actually think Cash's was the worst because at least there was other players in the box for Emmy Martinez. You know, there was p people around. There was consternation. It was a corner. There was 20 players there. 
fucking Matty Cash standing on his own next to his rock, and he does that to him. Yeah. Uh, and just just in the lapse of the god, what he did as well, like you know, and yeah, if you hit the ball off the rock, it's going to ricochet, <laughs> <laughs> and it could have gone anywhere. And thankfully, it just went wide of the post, and I think we ended up Cash ended up getting a chance to clear it then. But fucking hell, two more nominations. When John McGinn went to the right wing very briefly, he decides to spray the ball over Benteke's head to. <laughs> To the worst player of all time, Mings, that he like the worst player you could play at team when you won the up, who caresses a volley back, <laughs> back to Martinez, and he does it fucking brilliantly. But once more, you're talking about the conditioning where one nil up, Tyro Mings is being asked to caress a volley back to his keeper. Like I blame John McGinn for that one, and, and I salute Tyro Mings for for pulling it off. Absolutely fucking up, brain dead. It was John McGinn of you know. Six weeks ago, what the fuck are you doing, mate? This is a new era. Let's get rid of this. It's only Douglas Louise and Emmy Bundier still dicking around. We don't want this from you, McGinn. Not you, McGinn. <laughs> yeah. And the only other nomination, it was 1 0 at this stage, it was the 85th minute. We do not need to see Ezra Kanza going on an overlap to the byline. <laughs> worst thing about that was that it just started with Tyrone Mings galloping through the middle of the pitch with the ball on a mazy dribble. What does we, we had both our fucking, it was going to be Kanza swinging it into Tyrone Mings at 1-0 up in the fucking 85th minute. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm all for keeping the ball. I'm all for going for a second goal, but let's keep our centre-backs at centre-back, please. <laughs> but like, uh, and the, the worst thing about that was like once once he then started closing down to try and win the ball back, he was trying to put in a clean tackle like it was at the edge of his own box. Fucking clean him out of it. <laughs> Give away the foul and get back. What are you doing trying to defend elegantly from the front? Fucking <laughs> get him at the knees and get back to the fucking centre-half position. <laughs> yeah, we'll give Matt Cash the winner here. Um, the Vyman meter. I have nobody going down. Do you know that? I, I had a question mark. I didn't know if it was going up or down. Leon Bailey's back heels, but um, both of them led to chances. So uh, I'll give him a pass on this one. Like, you know, he's, a, he's an unpredictable player, but both times he set up a chance in the box with a, with a nice, unpredictable back heel. John McGinn's arse is going up. And Steven Gerrard, honest to God, his strike rate with John McGinn's arse is incredible. <laughs> Three three times John McGinn has played his arse for Aston Villa under Steven Gerrard, and three times it has worked. A hundred percent strike rate. Like Gerrard knows how to get the most out of it. You're all talking about John McGinn's arse when it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, this this is where we wanted to get to. John McGinn using his arse three times across two games isn't a thing. This isn't noteworthy. This is somebody who's just... You wouldn't know about this had it not been for the last two years of John McGinn being a fucking arse fanatic. This, like, this this isn't a thing. This isn't a talking point anymore. This is just somebody playing centre midfield. This is just a centre midfielder keeping the ball. It wasn't a thing until John McGinn made it a thing. <laughs> He hasn't fallen off the wagon, is the point. Like, you know, he, he could he could very easily make this a thing once more, but he's not, and Gerard's got it under control. Gerard's got John McGinn's arse under control. That's where we want it. <laughs> Going up, Tyrone Mings' upper body strength. Get the fuck out of here, Benteke. Not today. What Jesus, what what power? Like, you know, Benteke's just got a run. I think this is the time Nakama gave the ball away, was it? Or no, he fouled that time. I don't know what had happened. Ollie Watkins lost lost the ball in the middle of the pitch and Villa were wide open. Benteke gets the ball, shifts onto his right and Mings just pushes him off the ball and clears it out for a throw And That was heartening to see that you can do that to one of the strongest centre-forwards out there. Yeah, and not only that, the the counterpoint to being really strong as well, like the, how quickly Tyrone Mings shifts his feet as well because him and Konza get sucked into the same place and Benteke takes a decent touch who's got a better angle, and the way Tyrone Mings manages to move his feet to close out the space then. I mean, getting dribbled past by Benteke would have been an absolute, that would have been a retiring offence. But <laughs> the way he does shift his feet quickly because he's at an awkward position, and then to hold him out, yeah, perfect. Going up, 
He might be good at shithousing. He might have dropped the ball. But Emmy Martin is, if for one thing, when he caught the ball high and he absolutely milled target out of it. It's <laughs> just like no concern, no respect for the Aston Villa player in front of him. Elbow on the head, hip into the chest. Fuck off, I'm catching this ball. And then he was raging that the referee stopped to check on the health of his own teammate. <laughs> <laughs> That's our Emmy. <laughs> Um, but no, like it's 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 two. It's a massive away victory. It really speaks of of how good uh, how good Villa are playing at the minute. You know that there's nobody going down. So we'll keep it at that. We'll keep the positivity, and hopefully, you know, we're not um, overrun with players going down on the Vimean meter against Man City on Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Why was there pudding and hot chocolate in the Aston Villa canteen? To begin with, you know, like this this story breaking from the Telegraph. Now, Gerard was asked about it because of the whole Conte has banned ketchup. Um, it was like, you know, oh, Stevie, have you have you banned ketchup? And he actually just said, I thought it was a great answer. He said, um, I think it was all gone before I even got there, to be honest. I think my staff know me well enough now at this stage to know what I want and what I don't want. Um, so, like, that's, that's proper management. Like, and I'm sure he never once came in and banned any of this stuff. The people who are looking after that stuff came in and banned it. But... Steven Gerrard, obviously, gets the headline, has banned fizzy drinks, sauces, puddings, and hot chocolates as he implements new code of contact at Aston Villa. What the fuck? Are we slagged Harry Maguire? We slagged the United players for eating their sticky toffee pudding? Why is this happening in the Aston Villa training ground? I have a question that I can't answer. How the fuck is the presence of pudding a surprise to you? Like, did you think did you think John McGinn got that arse from sticking to to lean protein and low GI carbs? Put down the tender stem broccoli, Matt. It's making you look like you have concrete in your feet. Like, did you do you think did you think Buendia was moving around like a fucking constipated limpet because he was having too many fruit salads? It's not surprising at all. That these bastards were eating pudding? <laughs> I don't know. Like, do I have too high a standard for professional footballers? I just assumed that they were all eating well. Like that story that Lee Grant, the current Manchester United player, told TalkSport. What's, what's he doing on TalkSport to start off with? Um, and he told them about how they all saw Ronaldo was eating clean at dinner. So they ate clean as well. Like I was, I was, I was shocked, but obviously... Obviously, these boys are training, so most are just taking it for granted. But that's, I, I think it's madness, personally, but there you go. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a fat little left-back, so what do I know? That's <laughs> all going on, though. Aston Villa have also started, or Steven Gerrard has also started a private Instagram account. Why is this stuff reported? Like, it's just a, it's basically a WhatsApp group, but it's an account that they can share videos and whatever. And apparently, they're sharing motivational quotes and book ideas and whatever that's just a form of communication but anyway here i am talking about it so i'm no better i'm not going to pretend to be better than anybody else and here i am wondering who is plaguing the comment section on this private instagram account it's it's called body more one so you can find it you can find it there you can't obviously get into it but um i've got a fair idea what's happening in the comment section i think i think ashley young is struggling, you know, for the captaincy, for the captain's armband off Tyrone Ming. So he's plaguing it with big, long instructions, telling everybody what they need to do and what they need to be doing. And uh, and then I think Emmy Buendia is there struggling to impress the new manager. And he's dropping comments about what they do at Argentina, even though he's not in the Argentina squad at the minute. And what Lionel Messi's up to. And I think, I think there's a constant friend request to join this group. <laughs> I think I think that man can only be John Terry. Yeah, yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. <laughs> we just hope that Matt Cash isn't going back to his old ways and plaguing the group with uh, with comments about. Oh Jesus! Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, good old days. <laughs> uh, did Chuck Wemmicka think I was serious when I said he should be walking around swinging his dick? <laughs> I wish fucking Chuck Wemmicka would swing his stick. I mean, man, managers do get things wrong and managers have favourites and teachers' pets and they have preferred systems and they have preconceptions and prejudices and club managers should be making their players better 
through coaching and motivation and maximizing their abilities before before then picking them. And and maybe Smith didn't get the most out of Chuck Wemeka. But Conan, if Carney Chuck Wemeka is as good as everyone says he is, and we're all saying that with very little evidence other than seeing him stand out in the second division of the under-23s league. Like if he's as good as this conversation assumes he is, then what the fuck is he doing allowing a manager to pick a 36-year-old fullback ahead of him? I mean, that's on Carney Chukwemeka. I mean, how can he allow that to be a decision that Smith and now Gerrard are not only prepared to make, but they think is the right one for the team? I mean, and Buendia has given Smith and Gerrard Every excuse they could have asked for to slap him, never mind drop him. And he's played seven times this season. It's like, what, what the fuck is Karni Chukwemeka up to? If, like, if he's, what the fuck is he doing with Ramsey making over 40 appearances? Greedy's was the captain at 22. Cameron Archer is her top scorer. And Chukwemeka is getting splinters in his arse, watching a fat whinging waste of money, jogging around, moving his arms more than he's moving his legs, and rolling his eyes more than he's rolling the fucking ball to a teammate. And then Carney Chukwemeka is spitting his toys out because he can't get in the team. Like I know, I know he's been injured, but like fuck me. Yeah, it's it's, it's so uh, you know it's, it, the reports are that he's not signing. Uh, a new contract at the minute, anyway. Like everybody, probably, of course, they do. He's obviously he's a big talent. He's eighteen. He's technically gifted. He's physically gifted. Um, yeah, he played. He played in a couple of games at the end of last season. And we were excited. He, he got a start at, at at the start of this season, and we were excited as well. But um, yeah, like he, he he's not he's not making that jersey his own yet. And maybe his response to that is just to say, "Well, I'll find a new club," but. Yeah, I don't know if that's the best response, especially at that age. Like, you're at a massive club at the minute, and actually, you're at a place where you can, like, you know, of all the clubs you could be at, that is in a good standing, who will pay you well, and who where you'll be well looked after, you'll develop really well. You're at a place where there's a big opportunity to step in and dominate that midfield. It's not like you're going somewhere where you're definitely not going to play. You're, you're in a position where they keep changing the midfield because... Because they have to, because they're crying out for somebody to come in and own it, and yeah, like I, I'd say the response here really is, like, look, it's easy for me to say from the outside, but like you know, yeah, ask ask Steven Gerrard as uh, midfield legend what I need to do to get into the team, and then if that's not working, then say I want to be playing full time football, so send me out and loan in January, and I'll go and prove it. Send me to a good championship club. If, 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 like, you know, if that's your standard, go to the top of the championship and dominate that. And then it could be, you know, you'll be straight in then after playing 30 games from January to May. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say that would be the more appropriate response. But, like, you know, obviously people are young, there's agents involved, and there seems to be a bit of ego involved as well, which is disappointing. The only thing that's stopping Carney Chukwamaka from playing for Aston Villa is Carney Chukwamaka. It's, it's on him to get in. You've been dropped before. Who did you fucking blame? What did you do? You made the manager not be able to drop you. That's what a fucking footballer should do. Yeah, like that. I, I is playing for Aston Villa. Like Emmy Bonier is the worst player who's ever represented this club. What? Like, if, <laughs> I mean, he's got time to get better, but he couldn't be playing any worse. <laughs> um, um, maybe I'm too much of a softy. Where I'm like, well, he played that ball back to El Ghazi today, which led to a goal. <laughs> He's going up on the lineman meter for me. <laughs> Why is Jack Grealish flogging tickets two hours before a Champions League game? <laughs> Let me just find this tweet. Like, fuck me, six o'clock on the night PSG here in town to play Man City. City fans, I have four tickets that I bought for the game tonight that I no longer need. <laughs> is he not going? <laughs> or did he buy them for other people who were just not bothered going you know these classic city fans does anyone in Manchester that couldn't get a ticket you know give me a break one two <laughs> one two tickets I'll give out two sets of two like and you know what the interesting thing about this is when you go onto Twitter you can go into somebody's tweets and replies you know so you can see them replying to people and stuff. Jack Grealish got 2.7 thousand replies to that tweet obviously a lot of people slagging him Jack Grealish did not reply to anybody to say, I'll meet you outside the ground or happy days, I'll sort out your ticket. Nobody got those tickets. Four more empty seats. I don't know if anybody didn't ask, 
I assume somebody in those two point seven thousand asked, but you know, this is like obviously the big thing that was being thrown at him in Man City was that this is the hundred million pound signing, and he's trying to sell tickets for them at six o'clock, two hours before PSG and Lionel Messi are in town. Yeah, I mean, we, we we all knew that a large part of the reason City signed the Greenish was to drum up some fucking interest in the club and sell some shirts and sell some tickets. But we didn't think it was going to be literally selling some fucking tickets. It's <laughs> not, not really that surprising, though. I mean, they're only a 13-year-old club and their fans are primarily 13-year-old FIFA players who think replacing the initials of a player's name with the letter P constitutes banter. And they... <laughs> And they can't afford tickets, so they need to be given them by Jack Grealish. Uh, by by Pack Prelish. <laughs> Imagine like people listen to this, and not everybody's on Twitter. They're probably wondering what the fuck we're talking about. Last one. If Ralph Ragnick, Rang Rangnick Rangnick, if Ralph Rangnick really taught Klopp and Tuchel everything they know, why did he not just go and win the Champions League as well? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to really slag this lad or stick the boot in before before he even starts. Um, you know, it looks like a sensible enough appointment, but I'm weary. I'm weary that the best thing about disappointment is that it makes the initial shit decision of hiring an interim manager a bit better. It doesn't it doesn't make this overall direction good? It's, it, it is good that they're going to have somebody in place for two and a half years. Imagine that. A bit of consistency, but you're going to have this person in place with another manager in six months' time. So just because it made a really bad decision a bit better, it's still a really bad decision overall. They have an interim to an interim to a probably manager who'll be sacked in two years. <laughs> yeah, like it, it looks good for Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel to be talking about you and they're good references, and you can't ask for much more to have names like that coming out and swinging for you. But fucking good teachers don't always make good managers. And Bielsa has had Guardiola and Pochettino do the same. And maybe Man United have just accepted that that's their place in the world now because managers like Bielsa and Rangnick like taking over underdogs and making them slightly better. Not winning anything, just improving the spirit and the verve and <laughs> getting out with a general feeling of, oh, he did well, didn't he? And Bilbao, Marseille, Leeds, Schalke, Hoffenheim, Stuttgart, Man United. They're the teams for Bielsa and Rangnick. But you see all the fucking Man United fans getting excited. The reason they're excited is because they've looked them up in the last week because they've gone searching for articles and think pieces and analysis and Twitter graphics. But the reason they went looking for that stuff is because they'd never heard of him. (laughs) that's, That's a lot more telling than fucking... Polygon showing high intensity pressures, ground jewels won, and XG in the final 14 minutes of the game when losing by 1.5 goals or more <laughs> shots faced when defending a stand with two tears in it. I mean, the, Jesus Christ, lads, if you're looking up who your new manager is, that tells you everything you need to know. It doesn't matter what you find anymore. <laughs> and, and this is the thing, like, you know, I'll, I'll take... I'll take Klopp and Tuchel's word that he knows what he's talking about. Absolutely. But it really, really reminds me of that, that great line in Social Network when the Mark Zuckerberg character said, you know, we're talking about the inventors of Facebook. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. <laughs> you know, like, just because Klopp and Tuchel had success, it doesn't mean that that Rangnick's had success. He hasn't. He hasn't had nowhere near that same success. Those guys have maybe taken good learnings from him. I'm sure he was very influential. But they've added to the amazing ideas that they had and the unbelievable implementation that they were able to bring out. It's you know, it's it's, it's not the same thing as taking like you know, every manager speaks to different managers and they share ideas, and then the best ones are able to go then and apply that to a current team. And this is a big fucking job to ask him to do that. At United, Barney Roney from The Guardian tweeted, he said, Rangnick at Man United is a mouthwater and prospect. Great move, fascinating. But I have to say, it's also a truly weird leap from three years of vibes and handshakes to, to being the highest priest of angry, detailed press in football. <laughs> I don't know puts it quite as well as Barney Roney, did he? The best thing about that little... Uh few sentences you had there was the fact that you had to specify it was Mark Zuckerberg's character 
as if you were terrified that Mark Zuckerberg was going to sue you for no, <laughs> no. I've just seen Mark Zuckerberg. I wasted too much time watching those meta rollout videos that, that Mark Zuckerberg is doing, <laughs> and I know for a fact now that he is nowhere near the same charisma <laughs> to really pull off a line like that. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> And with that, well, Beijing, good day. Two wins on the bounce for Aston Villa for a new manager for the first time since John Gregory. The good days are back. Steven Gerrard is in full flow. And we've got Manchester City next. Bring them on. Would be fucking great considering how much we like sticking the boot into Man City if Villa could actually do them. But um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think, man? I don't want to think about it. <laughs> we'll not. Uh, we'll not make any predictions. We'll just come afterwards and say, "Well, you know, obviously they should have done this." We'll we'll tell everybody <laughs> why why what they did was wrong in hindsight. That game is at eight fifteen on Wednesday night, so I suppose I'll see you late enough on Wednesday night, Liam. And until the oh, one last thing, by the way, before I go, our. Intro and outro music is getting a lot of heat online, and I don't know if I like it, to be honest. Um, obviously, it's it's a great song from Blind Pilot, but people are people are raising questions about it. Let's put it that way. Rex Steele tweeted, saying the opening music to your podcast is really incongruous, yet it stays in my head all week. So really, that's a bit of a sort of, you know, it's a compliment and also a bit of abuse at the same time but <laughs> <laughs> but but it didn't stop there unfortunately it, it, it actually it just kept coming to be honest and then more and more people started chipping in with their two cents worth um jonah said i can't stop singing it no idea who or what it is it was blind pilot jack talbot said it's awful I always assumed it was you two giving a shout out to a mate's shitty band or something. <laughs> <laughs> Ali Thompson said, I love it. What's the song? Ollie Williams has accused the two of us of being both big One Tree Hill fans. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, You hate it. Somebody said, Oakley said, I'm with Liam. And then uh, people started getting a bit brave then. Pat Mustard, I'm sure it's not the real Pat Mustard from Father Ted. You sure it's not the real fictional character? <laughs> he said, if we're sending feedback, he's like, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> please stop putting in clips of the Leeds fans. It just makes me think of that 3 0 thumping. Christ. Um, I don't know. Do you want to uh, protect, defend, or so? Fuck, I thought you were going to say, do you want to sing us out or something? <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll we'll make a decision offline. I don't think this is the time or place. We need to become less emotional before we make a decision like this. I love the song, Liam, not so much. So we'll talk about it when we when we go off here. Um, another shout out for our discount code as well on look1977.com. The code is Vimin. You get twenty percent off, uh, especially now when there's already a lot of sales on. You'll get that twenty percent off on top of those sales. So go enjoy it. I know I'm enjoying it for some handy Christmas presents. I sound like such a shrill. I know I'm enjoying it for some handy Christmas presents. Um, anyway, we've gone on long enough. We'll chat to you later. All the best. Mm-hmm.